Hello, Joy Starter. Hope you are having the greatest day. I have just gotten back from a whirlwind trip. I was in California, Dana Point, California. If you subscribe to the newsletter, you saw the amazing pictures from Dana Point. Oh my gracious. The California coast is just absolutely gorgeous. And I was there working for a company and working with a company, I should say, on how to infuse more joy in their culture, how to personally be happier in your soul, be more joyful, be more joyful in your family, how to fill your cup, how to, uh, what does soul care look like for you? Because when we're happier in all those other areas of our life, then we're going to be happier in our work. That's just the, that's the nature of the beast. That's how it works. And when we're happier, when our cup's more filled and we're more joyful and all of those things, every other part of our life benefits. Boom, mic drop. (laughs) Because I can tell you that some of the meanest people that I have ever encountered and nastiest people were going through something. They were broken. They were sad. I've never met a happy bully. I've never met a happy bully. I talk about this all the time. I've never met a happy bully. I think this has become a thing, by the way, me crying and singing in this podcast, which, by the way, thank you again for making this podcast top 10% in the world. That just amazes me. I went from years ago doing a podcast with a, a partner of mine and Chad doing. It was amazing. We did great content together, but it wasn't, we just kind of put it out whenever we put it out. So we'd put one out and we might wait three weeks till we got both of our schedules together because he's in sports media too. And then we'd put one out three weeks later and there might be one two weeks later. So there was no continuity. And so I went from that to this. (laughs) I knew that I wanted to do a podcast. I wanted to do a, a podcast on my own. And as much as I absolutely loved the podcast with him, and I think it's still up. If you ever want to go search for, I'm, it's changing the narrative. I believe it's just changing the narrative without the I. And there was even one that we did on the dangers of pornography. We would talk about coaching, Israel trips, all sorts of different things, different topics. So we, well, whatever was on our mind, he would ask me, hey, what's on your mind this week? And that's what we would talk about. So they're really great podcasts. I just wanted to do one on my own. So I went from doing it every two weeks to, we ha- I have an amazing friend and, and marketing person. Her name is Kim, who helps me with this podcast and many other things as well with the movement. And she said, it, I think it would behoove you to do a podcast every week. And y'all, it has. And you've made this podcast top 10% in the world. And so I just want to say thank you. I, I, I try to say thank you a lot, but I want to say thank you um, again. And for me, I can't say it enough. I I tell God all the time, if I thank you 10 million times, it would not be enough. I am just, as I mentioned, on off this whirlwind trip where I was in California. I came home. I was here for one night. Um, My husband and I slept in and then we packed our bags and we went to Charleston for our second wedding anniversary. We've been together six years, but this was our second wedding anniversary on December 5th. And so we are both huge history nerds, but we love history, anything historical. I will tell you that my leaving Charleston last night and and heading back, I, I will tell you that I believe still that New Orleans is my favorite historical city. I haven't had a chance, I've been to Savannah, but I haven't had a chance to like dig into Savannah and go in like houses and museums and 
hear more of the history and all of that. So it would be Savannah, Char- it'd be it'd be New Orleans, Charleston, Savannah. But that could change at any time. I, I just have a lot of memories in New Orleans. And when I say memories in New Orleans, I'm not talking about Bourbon Street, baby. I'm talking about Frenchman Street and the Garden District and my favorite street, Royal Street. That street has antique shops and the Hotel Monteleone, which I had the amazing honor of <laughs> staying in because it's an expensive hotel. I happen to get it very great rate. One night coming back from, on a trip coming back from speaking at LSU, and I spent two nights there, and I specifically asked, don't put me in the haunted part, because baby, I believe in me some Jesus, but I've had hairs in the back of my neck stand up in places. So I love New Orleans, and if you've listened to this podcast before, I'm like, squirrel, I'm all over the place, but I usually land my plane. And so I love New Orleans, and now I love Charleston, and I've just got to figure out where Savannah plays in this mix, and heck, I can just love them all. But one of the things that we learned while we were on this trip was a difference in restoration and preservation. And it was so neat because we went to two historical homes while we were there. So we were there. We got there later on mid-evening, I should say, on Saturday night. There was a grocery store right next to our hotel. And I don't know about y'all, but I cannot eat out three meals a day. And especially having been on a trip just beforehand and then rolling into this trip, my pants are a little tighter. Let's just say I ate all the things and I enjoyed it, but we didn't want to eat out the whole time. I don't know if you and your family are like this, but I love going to get a few things to put in the refrigerator so you can have snacks, so you can have food, so you can have the things you want in your room and you don't have to eat out every time. And it also saves money because where we can save money, I, I'm a thrifty person. I love shopping sales. You, If I get something on sale, you better bet I'm going to tell you. And I am that girl, by the way, that will tell you where I got my things. Um, I am not a gatekeeper because you've heard that on the last podcast with my fashion. Do not gatekeep your fashion. Do not be the girl or the guy. Somebody says, oh my gosh, that's so great. You look so great. Where'd you get it? I don't remember. And, and women are more predisposition. I don't remember where I got it. I didn't remember. Honey, I'm never going to see you again. You can share where you got your great boots. I'm, I'm, I, and what is it? Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Like, I think you look good in it. I want to wear it too. So that's me talking about my sale mantra. But we went over and got some groceries at Harris Teeter and stocked our refrigerator so we could have snacks, so we could eat in between. And we went out and two of the the tours that we did, we did a walking tour. If you are ever in Charleston, tell him I sent you. His name's Tommy Dews Walking Tour. Tommy Dews Walking Tour. And it was amazing. We got to learn all about the history of Savannah, which here I am. I am like in my brain, I'm I'm thinking Civil War history. And yes, of course, there's Civil War history there, but there's so much more history there, like late, like seven, like 1700s and late 1600s. And are you kidding me? Like just amazing history there. And Tommy has been doing this for 28 years. He's been walking, giving these tours. And so it was super neat to be able to do that. We also did uh, a ghost tour. We did a ghost tour. One of the nights we did two tours of a haunted, not haunted, I should say two tours of two historical homes. And that's what brings me to the thought for you of the preservation versus restoration. So first we went to the Nathaniel Russell house, and this was a beautiful home that is a great example of restoration, of historical restoration, where they studied the paint, 
They studied the draperies. They studied the floor tiles. They studied all of those things that period furniture, which a furniture inside of there was not uh, native to the home, but it was native to the time. And I've been to many museums where that's the case. I've been to the Lotz Museum uh, house. If you've ever gone to Franklin, Tennessee, absolutely have to go to the Lotz house. I've probably been there five times with different people. I've been there with my mama and my sweet stepdaddy, and you have to go there. They also, a lot of the furniture was not, not all, but a lot of the furniture was not native to that home, but it was period furniture. And I remember in there, that museum, this was crazy. I'm looking at this beautiful, looks like woven, <laughs> looks like a woven flower on the wall. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so pretty. And I asked the tour guide and they said, yeah, that's human hair. And I said, what? It's, what? And they said, yeah, it was customary when you passed away, they'd cut off your hair and they would weave these, these works of art. So that was a little creepy, but uh, kind of cool. There was also something in the Lotz house, just giving you a little history tour here. There, and it was called a courting chair. And there were two spaces on the end. And then there was a space right in the middle. And the space in the middle was like for the aunt or the spinster in the family that never got married. She would sit in between you and make sure that you were doing all the things that you were supposed to do while you were courting and doing the things that you weren't supposed to do while you were courting. So we did from Saturday night until leaving on Tuesday, we did four tours. We walked probably about eight miles each day. We saw Rainbow Row. We ate at a place called Pugin's Porch. We ate at Husk, probably one of the best cheeseburgers in the city, we were told, and it definitely lived up to it. And also ate another place called Magnolia's and their pimento cheese and wah to die for. And they also have, I had to try it because I make really, really good deviled eggs, like really good deviled eggs. And so anytime somebody has deviled eggs on their menu and it's front and center, I want to try it to see if it's as good as my deviled eggs. And they were good, but I make deviled, better deviled eggs. So back to these houses, we went to the Nathaniel Russell house one of the days that we were there. And wow, oh my gosh, so beautiful. Like I said, the restoration, the stories. What was also interesting was during that time period, the 1800s, early 1900s, even the 1700s, late, a woman, if you married a man, your property, if you own property, went to him. He automatically got your property and anything you own, rental property, houses, and unfortunately, hate to say this, but it was obviously a a thing then, and it's very sad, and I I study a lot of African-American history as well, but if you owned slaves, if you owned people, that became your husband's property as well. And then I believe he also, if you got divorced, if you left him, he got all of that, but he also got custody of the children. Like, it was crazy. But this woman, Nathaniel Russell's wife, she obviously had some property before she married him, and she was of some wealth and stature. She put together what would be the first prenup, the first what would look like today is a prenup, and she negotiated that anything that she owned beforehand stayed with her, and it was hers. And I just thought that was great. I thought it was absolutely great. You rock on woman in a time where women couldn't vote and they didn't have many rights and all of those things. It it really struck me as her having gall and, and balls. And I hate to say that she had balls, but she did. 
figuratively, and she was gutsy. And to be able to do that and say, no, these were my things before we were married, and I want to retain these rights. And sure as heck, she did. If you've been subscribed to this podcast for any amount of time, you know I coach. I talk about it. But maybe you're not in the place financially, emotionally, psychologically, time-wise, where you can undertake coaching right now, but you could take a course. Did you know you could go to rachelbarbeau.com and hit course and take the joy blueprint? Yes, the second time around that I taught the blueprint I recorded it and made it into a course. My amazing people behind the scenes, my marketing mavens, Kim and Abby, made it into a course for me that you can take. It's got a worksheet for each week. It's five weeks worth of lessons, and you can grab that today. You can start today and get on the joy train. Get on your best self train, rachelbarbeau.com. I'd love to see you there. I'm going to pause here in the podcast and tell you that I am recording today looking out my beautiful window because I have been traveling so much. I am so happy to be home. I am sleeping in my own bed, touching my couch, seeing my dog for the first time in a week, my kitty cats, my plants, talking to them, my Christmas decorations, all the things, and oh so grateful. And I'm looking out at our feeder that we have attached to, a clear feeder that we have attached to our window. And there is a red bird there. And if you know the history of red birds, many of you have things that remind you of your loved ones that have departed. And for me, it was always red birds. And the lore of the red bird goes that you it's a sign from from a visitor is is visiting from heaven. And so right now there's a beautiful red bird and has been this morning eating out of this feeder. And that to me is a sign that my mommy is visiting. And so I am ever so grateful. But back to Charleston and back back to the difference in between preservation and restoration. So the Nathaniel Russell House was just beautiful, as I mentioned, just a an absolute vision, gorgeous, amazing, everything restored. And really, I think one of the neatest parts of it beyond the personal stories was in the back, they had um what would have been the kitchen. And the slave quarters at one time. Well, this house, you have to think about, went through many iterations over the years. And in the 1900s, let's say like I think it was around the 1940s, somewhere around in there, maybe a little bit later, may have been closer to the 70s, the back area was covered. It was covered in plaster. It was painted. It was all of those things. And it went about life. And a lot of these different houses will end up being um, apartment buildings or office spaces or or those things. But this particular one, it was covered, it was used. And what happened was that plaster and that paint actually provided a buffer for everything that happened underneath. And it was fascinating, fascinating when they got a hold of this house, the historical preservation, the historical society of Charleston, they uncovered and were able to tear down this plaster and this, all of this paint and underneath was the innards, right? Of this original kitchen. You could see the fireplace where they once cooked. You could see it was even they had a, a, a whole little deal behind a case where the rat, this is insane. The rats in the wall had taken things and brought it back to make it a rat's nest. 
And they also market, I didn't know this, I'm teaching you everything that I know or some of the things that I know. So when you go to Charleston or go to one of these historical cities, you can ask, restoration or preservation? So rats will come back and they'll bring things, items back to their rat's nest to make their nest and they will pee on it. They will mark it. And that pee, actually, did you ever think you'd be listening to about, about rat pee in my podcast? There are crazier things in life. But the pea would preserve these things. So inside of this rat's nest was things like an old toothbrush, a hair comb, a makeup dispenser, like way back in the day from the 1800s. So just absolutely insane. So it was very neat to look at the pictures of this kitchen that was built in this house early 1800 and how it had been covered. And because of that, because it had been covered, it was preserved. And so they ripped it down to the studs so you could actually see what the kitchen would have looked like back then. So fast forward to our anniversary day, and we ended up going to the Aiken Rhett House. And this was a great example of preservation. I had to think about it there for a minute. Preservation. This is a house that was... Is humongous, by the way. It's absolutely humongous. And it is, they're letting it do its thing. They're letting it fade and do its thing. And, and all of the things they have not, they're, they're, they're in the sense, keeping it upright, correct. And, and all of those things, but they are not restoring it. And so we did the audio tour through this one too, which was really neat. We did the audio tour. I, I love a docent. Because you get to ask questions and all of those things. But I do love an audio tour because it's self-paced and you can you can keep going. So this particular house was, like I said, huge. Um, they had this grand, I, I'm talking about t- at least 12 foot tall, 10, 12 foot tall painting wide of the lady of the house. And it had been sitting in the house. It had been sitting in there for many years. And it actually, it, it sustained a lot of damage because of the the weather in Charleston and they were able to get it. I think, I believe they sent it to Clemson. They were able to get through layers of grime and dirt and study the paint and do all of these things to preserve this painting. And so they ended up putting all of this family's treasures inside this one room that was actually climate controlled. And these are treasures that they brought from all over the world, from Paris, there are pictures. I'm going to put them up on my social media. There are pictures, y'all, of Venice in the 1800s where they went around the world and they had these trunks and they got these busts and these pictures. And it just was unreal. It was like taking a step back in time and these frames, they were so ornate. And again, the darker part of, of history, it was one of the most preserved slave quarters that in the city so to speak. And I did not know this about Charleston, but outside of Rome, this was what I was told by one of our tour guides, outside of Rome, it is the most preserved city in the world. I think it also in the United States has the largest historical district as well. So that was really, really neat to me. I recognized with Charleston that we were only scratching the surface. Being there two and a half days, we were only scratching the surface. But guys, we walked about eight miles a day. So, yeah, like we walked, we ate, we shopped, we talked, we did all of the things, we celebrated, we savored, we napped, we slept late, got woken up by some things, and then and then able to sleep late later, we laughed, we giggled, we did all of the things, and so it was just a great trip. But back to that second house where it was more preservation, the restoration, the slave quarters there, 
my gracious, what a heavy, heavy place to be in. You walk out the back of the house. If you want to look it up, look up the Aiken Rhett House. And all you can you can see this, but you walk out of the back of this house and it's kind of like a tangerine colored like stone. That's the color of the house. It's it's beautiful. It's like a pastel. I mean, it's gorgeous. And you walk out the back, and on the left-hand side, is a, it's a courtyard. There's a carriage house, and then there were apparently slave quarters above that as well. And then on the right-hand side was the kitchen, the outdoor kitchen. And then you walk up the stairs, which I could not believe in a house this old. They allowed you to walk up the stairs. I mean, I was just holding on to the handrail for, for dear life, and you were able to walk down the the rooms and imagine the families, the lives that lived there. And they did tell us about one of the the slaves there that went on to freedom and she ended up working at an orphanage for black children. And she was able to later on write a check. She was literate. She did beautiful things with her life. Doesn't again take away from the atrocities of the slave trade, which we learned all about that too. And Charleston being one of the largest ports for slave trades in the United States. Also learned, consequently, had no idea, as somebody who studies African-American history, had no idea uh, the amount that Brazil, amount of slaves that Brazil had as well. Had no clue, just a total side note. So definitely the difference between preservation and restoration. So I don't know how you apply that to your life. I always try to give you something to apply to your life, but... Are, are you going to restore something or are you just going to preserve its memory? Maybe that's that's the thing right there. Maybe it's right now, It maybe it's it's you can't restore it. Maybe you don't have the wherewithal, the bandwidth, and you need to honor your boundaries that you cannot restore something, but you can preserve its memory and you can hold it there. Whoa, look at me. Whoa. There is something to that. There's a deeper meaning to that. And I always invite you for deeper meaning, for deeper introspection in this podcast. And speaking of that, I want to tell you about a friend of mine that I hope inspires you. I'm not going to share her name, but this friend of mine was married for a really long time, and she got totally blindsided by her husband. He came home one day and said he wanted a divorce. It wasn't, they weren't fighting. It was a a good marriage, and she was totally blindsided. And so since that time, since that time of the initial, I want a divorce and the divorce happening, This friend of mine has taken up, she's taken up a new hobby. She is looking at other places where she wants to live. And she just took, she's done this before, but she just took a solo vacation to the beach and was there for days by herself. And the hobby that she picked up was paddling. She decided that, and and y'all, she had never paddled before. She had never paddled before and she took it up and she ended up doing this race this year. She ended up doing this race that was like a crazy distance and never paddled before. Taught herself, got herself a boat, put a rack on her car, got all into it, made new friends, did the whole dang thing and just did a trip where she took a beach trip and did solo and got herself lessons and people guiding her and went into the ocean with dolphins and did all of these things. And why am I sharing this with you, y'all? Because she got blindsided. And instead of staying down, she said, you know what? I am going to live. I have a passion and a will to live. And I am not going to let this 
mark me. I'm not going to let this keep me down. And so without saying her name, I just want to give a huge shout out to my friend who I know listens to this podcast. And I want to tell her that I'm so proud of her. I've told her to write about this. I've told her to share about this because there are other people that have been blindsided with news, with divorce, with whatever it is that have been knocked down and they need her courage, the courage that she has showed to get back up. And I've told her she is a beacon. She's a beacon for women everywhere, for men everywhere who were faced with divorce and they didn't want it. It wasn't something that they wanted and they fought for their marriage or maybe they lost a spouse um, or maybe they never uh, got married and they are looking at their life and they're examining their life and they're saying, what is my life about? Like, what am I doing? What am I living? Am I existing? Or am I just living? And so I have told her um, and I will share with you that she needs to write about this. She needs to blog about it. She needs to talk about it. She needs to write another book. She needs to do all of these things because there are people out there that feel lost, especially this season, that don't know what to do, that are punching the clock, that are just going through the motions. And I, I truly believe that she's going to inspire others. I know she already has. She inspires me daily. But there are people out there that are in her exact position that need to hear her story, that need to hear what she's done. And it was tied to a lot of this joy was tied to stepping out and finding this new hobby, this new thing that she loved to do, challenging herself and getting out there and breaking all of these preconceived notions she probably had for herself. And maybe other people thought like, you don't know anything about that sport. You don't know anything about that. Well, how are you going to do that? And she proved them wrong and probably shocked herself in the process. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it, the, the lesson there in her story is you got to have this desire to get back up and you got to have this desire to say, there's more for my life and I want it. And do I want to book the solo trip? Do I want to start the new hobby? Do I want to join the hiking group? Whatever it may be, but it's that desire to say that I want more for my life. And as we end the rest of this year and it's really savoring and remembering and rejoicing and getting into the spirit of the season and being kind to ourselves, we can still look forward to 2024, as many of us are, and say, what do I want my life to look like? And I think she looked at her life and said, okay, this happened to me. I couldn't control it and I didn't want it. And yet it happened. And so now I have a choice. I can lay down and die or if I can get back up. And I'm talking about her soul. I'm not talking about a literal death. I'm talking about get back up and and fight and live and love and travel and design a life and do things. And I'm just really, really proud of her. And I wanted to share her story in case it inspires you today. And as we end this podcast, I've got to tell you, I'll likely share more about this, but in the in in the coming weeks, in the coming years, because I have shared with you that I'm writing another book, working on it right now, the treatment right now to pitch in early 2024. But as I was driving home from Charleston, I was listening to some music, an old playlist that I hadn't heard in a long time and leave it to music to evoke just something in your soul. And I was listening to the music and just weeping. I have a mentor. His name's Dr. Kevin Elko. He also happens to mentor Nick Saban and Jalen Hurts. And we've been friends for over 10 years and he's very good to me. And every coach needs a coach. I coach, but every coach needs a coach. And he talked to me the other day about when your cup runs over, those around you get the, they're the saucer of the liquid running over the cup. And my, my cup truly runneth over. And as I was driving home for my anniversary trip, 
um, in which my husband and I have been together, like I said, six years, but married to, and just recognizing how needed and precious and good and wholesome the time was together, where we laughed and giggled and dreamed and played and made plans and forgave and went deep and talked and had conversations and and cleared the air and and got back on track and all and just connected and came out like the other side like that much more connected and savored and what the obviously the anniversary meant this beautiful wedding that he gave me and gave us for for all of our loved ones and so I'm driving home and I'm just weeping <laughs> the cup is running over with tears I'm just weeping and I just wept the whole way home for gratitude from gratitude because I prayed. I prayed for my husband for many years. I prayed for my bonus kids. My bonus daughter is going out for and has been, has been I think, nominated. I think that's the process for, it's like the Hope Squad. It's, I, may, I may not even be saying it right, but basically she's been nominated because she's kind to people, because she's good to people. And I've always told her her outsides are beautiful, but her heart is more beautiful, even more beautiful than her outsides. And she's a beautiful girl. And I was just weeping last night because I prayed. I, I prayed for this. I prayed for this husband that I love so deeply. I prayed for these kids. I prayed for this family. And wow. Whew. And, and I'm standing right in the middle of something that I prayed for at one time. And I will tell you, you're standing right in the middle of a memory. Don't wait to be happy. Don't wait to be the architect of your life. Don't wait to go for it. Don't, don't do those things. Think about the, the difference in restoration and preservation in your own life and what that means to you. Plan a trip. Take, some, take it to somewhere where it just makes your soul sing. My husband and I said our little nerdy souls just uh, sang the whole time because we love that kind of stuff. Some people wouldn't want to do all those tours and do all those things, but we loved it. So my cup runneth over, and I just want to say I love you and I'm grateful for you. 